0: Welcome to the December 7th, 2023 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the findings from a Phase two study of serafinib plus intensive chemotherapy, in newly diagnosed FLT3-ITD-AML. Learn more about the inhibition of PLK4 in TP53-mutated AML and discuss the role of CD44 in Plasmodium falciparum infection. We first examine data in the blood article entitled... Sorafenib Plus Intensive Chemotherapy in Newly Diagnosed flt 3 itd aml a Randomized Placebo-Controlled Study by the ALLG, by Sun Liu from the Peter McCallum Cancer Center in Melbourne, Australia, and colleagues. FMS-like tyrosine kinase 3 internal tandem duplications, or FLIT3-ITD, are associated with an increased risk of relapse, and poor overall survival in patients with acute myeloid leukemia. They are present in up to 30% of adults with newly diagnosed AML. Targeting FLT3 kinase activity with the small molecules midostaurin and quizartinib in combination with intensive chemotherapy has proven successful, with improvement in overall survival in patients with newly diagnosed FLT3 mutant AML. In relapsed or refractory FLT3 mutant AML, Gilteritinib and quisartinib have shown a survival benefit over chemotherapy. Seraphinib is a small-molecule multikinase FLIT3 VEGF receptor, pdgfr beta, KIT, and RAF inhibitor, which has been studied in several prospective AML trials. Two prospective studies found that maintenance therapy with seraphinib could reduce relapse risk after allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplant or AlOHCT. hct In another study of younger patients with newly diagnosed AML, adding serafinib on days 10 to 19 after induction therapy with donorubicin and citerabine improved event-free survival and was associated with toxicities comparable to that of placebo. However, since only 17% of patients in that study harbored FLT3 mutations, conclusions could not be drawn about the potential benefit of serafinib in FLT3-ITD-positive AML. So, despite these generally encouraging findings, the role of serafinib in frontline combination with intensive chemotherapy for patients with FLT3-ITD-AML prior to HCT remains unclear. The purpose of the current study was to assess the safety and efficacy of serafinib in combination with intensive induction and consolidation chemotherapy, followed by hematopoietic stem cell transplant or serafinib maintenance in patients with flt 3 ITD-AML. The multicenter double-blind Phase II trial enrolled 102 patients with newly diagnosed split 3 ITD-AML. Between January 2013 and May 2018, patients were aged 18 to 65 years, with a median of 49 years. Study subjects were randomized 2 to 1 to induction chemotherapy combined with either serafinib or placebo. Induction therapy consisted of idarubicin plus citerabine, with serafinib or placebo administered on days 4 through 10. Patients who achieved a complete response or complete response with incomplete hematologic recovery with one or two rounds of induction therapy received monthly maintenance chemotherapy, again with serafinib or placebo, for up to 12 months. Patients could proceed to transplant but could not receive serafinib afterwards. The primary endpoint was event free survival. Secondary endpoints included safety, relapse free survival, response rates, and overall survival. Of 102 enrolled patients, 98 were included in the final analysis. Three did not receive study treatment, and one was found to be FLT3-ITD-negative. The rates of complete remission and complete remission with incomplete hematologic recovery were high in both arms. For serafinib, 78% and 9%, and for placebo, and 24% respectively. At median follow-up of 49.1 months, there was no significant difference in event-free survival for serafinib compared to placebo. Namely, the two-year event-free survival rates were 47.9% and 45.4% respectively. Two-year overall survival was 67% for patients who received serafinib and 58% for patients who received placebo. Overall, 74% of patients in the serafinib arm and 64% of patients in the placebo arm proceeded to a hematopoietic stem cell transplant with 62% and 58% of patients respectively transplanted in first remission. The median time to transplant was 4.2 months. The 120 day landmark analysis revealed that two year overall survival was significantly increased in the serafinib arm for transplanted patients in first remission compared to those not transplanted, namely 84% versus 53%, pointing to the benefit of HCT as post remission therapy. The rates of grade 3 or higher hematologic toxicities were similar in both treatment arms, most commonly, these were infection or sepsis, rash, alanine aminotransferase elevation, and enterocolitis. The authors concluded that their findings do not support the routine use of pre-transplant serafinib plus chemotherapy in unselected patients with flt 3 itd aml In an accompanying commentary, Richard Stone from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts, notes that the findings from the Phase II trial conducted by Liu and collaborators were negative. Namely, neither survival nor event-free survival improved with serafinib treatment. Failure to meet the primary endpoint could not be attributed to lack of bioavailability, since patients' plasma consistently showed marked inhibition of FLT3 kinase activity using in vitro assays. However, Stone notes that even though the primary endpoint was not met, there was a clear trend towards superior outcomes among patients who received serafinib after an allogeneic transplant in first remission, consistent with previous studies. Overall, it is now well accepted that a flt 3 inhibitor should be given in conjunction with chemotherapy to AML patients with FLIT3-ITD. What remains to be determined is whether the choice should fall on quizartinib or mitostorin, both of which have shown positive results in trials to date, in contrast to serafinib. Finally, Stone points out one limitation of the study, namely an imbalance in randomization, whereby favorable NPM1 mutant disease was more common in patients in the placebo compared to the serafinib arm, with rates of 81% and 60% respectively. He concludes that it may be challenging to outperform the approximately 70% long-term relapse-free survival in mutant FLT3 ITD AML patients who received a tyrosine kinase inhibitor and an allogeneic stem cell transplant in first remission. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled, Inhibition of PLK4 Remodels Histone Methylation and Activates Immune Response via C gas sting pathway in TP53 mutated AML by Chuk Him Man from the University of Hong Kong in Hong Kong, China, and colleagues. TP53-mutated acute myeloid leukemia is associated with extremely poor outcomes because it is refractory to conventional chemotherapy and allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. PLK4, or polo-like kinase 4, belongs to a family of 5 serine-threonine kinases. PLK4 is essential for cell cycle progression, mitosis, and cytokinesis. By phosphorylating key effectors including STIL, FBXW5, and ECT2, PLK4 serves as the master regulator of centriole duplication and positive modulator of cell cycle progression. During oncogenesis, increased PLK4 expression leads to an abnormal increase in centriole number and centrosome amplification, which causes chromosomal instability and aneuploidy. PLK4 has also been found to promote tumorigenesis via the ATR CHECK1, PI3K, AKT pathways, and the NF-kappa-B axis. Aberrant regulation of PLK4 due to defective p53 signaling has been reported in a wide range of TP53 mutated cancers, highlighting the potential pathogenic role of PLK4. In the current study, the authors hypothesized that inhibiting PLK4 may have anti-leukemia effects and distinct therapeutic mechanisms in TP53 wild-type and mutated AML. To test their hypothesis, they conducted a series of PLK4 inhibition experiments in AML cell lines and a TP53 mutant AML mouse model. Experiments in cell lines revealed that inhibition of PLK4 by the small inhibitory molecule CFI400945 or knockdown of PLK4 by short hairpin RNA leads to reduced proliferation of AML cells by several mechanisms. Interestingly, PLK4 expression was significantly higher in AML patient samples compared to bone marrow from healthy donors. Moreover, AML cell lines and patient samples with mutated TP53 had a higher expression of PLK4 compared to AML cells with wild type TP53. By comparing TP53 wild-type and mutated cell lines, the authors demonstrated that inhibition of PLK4 with the CFI400945 kinase inhibitor increased P53 signaling, induced DNA damage, and inhibited growth in TP53 wild-type AML cells to a greater extent than in TP53 mutated AML cells. In contrast, in TP53 mutant cells, inhibition of PLK4 induced cellular senescence, inhibited cytokinesis, and inhibited growth, but only after much longer treatment. A previously undescribed PLK4, PRMT5, EZH2, H3K27ME3 axis was demonstrated in both TP53 wild-type and mutated AML, resulting in histone modification through PLK4-induced PRMT5 phosphorylation. In TP53 mutated AML, the combined effects of histone modification and polyploidy activated the C-gas sting pathway, leading to secretion of cytokines and chemokines and activation of macrophages and T cells upon co-culture with AML cells. Following, the authors conducted experiments in a TP53 mutant AML mouse model and found that PLK4 inhibition by CFI400945 could suppress leukemia growth and prolong survival. Lastly, They examined the effects of anti CD47 antibody monotherapy in vivo and found that it induced only modest suppression of leukemic burden and extension of animal survival compared to vehicle control. However, combining CFI 400945 with an anti-CD47 antibody, had a synergistic effect and led to significantly suppressed leukemic burden and prolonged animal survival up to 146 days, compared to only 73.5 days with anti-CD47 antibody monotherapy. Taken together, these findings demonstrate an anti-leukemic effect of PLK4 inhibition via a newly identified PRMT5-EZH2-H3K27ME signaling pathway. In TP53-mutated AML, the cumulative DNA damage led to senescence and activation of the C-gas-sting pathway. Which ultimately activated macrophages and T cells. The authors conclude that their findings lay the groundwork for the development of novel therapeutic approaches for AML. In an accompanying commentary, Caroline Palm Apergi from Karolinska Institute in Sweden notes that the findings by Mann and collaborators demonstrate that both inhibition of PLK4 by CFI 400945 and knockdown by short hairpin RNA result in reduced proliferation of AML cells, depending on their TP53 status. Since CFI400945 has been previously shown to inhibit another serine-threonine kinase, Aurora B, the knockdown by RNA interference supports the idea that these effects are due to PLK4 and not Aurora B inhibition. Moreover, PLK4 expression was found to be higher in AML cell lines and samples from patients with TP53-mutated AML compared to cells with wild-type TP53, pointing to PLK4 as a particularly interesting target in TP53-mutated AML. PLK4 inhibition in TP53 wild-type cells led to significant and rapid suppression of cell growth during initial exposure and led to more apoptotic cells compared to mutant TP53 cells. However, DNA damage was observed in both P53 wild-type and mutated AML cells, whereas senescence was only observed in TP53 mutated AML cells. Importantly, CFI-400945-related cytotoxicity was not observed in normal hematopoietic cells. Palm Apergi notes that PLK-4 inhibition by CFI-400945 was previously studied in a Phase I trial in advanced solid tumors. And there are currently two clinical trials underway, one in patients with AML, myelodysplastic syndrome, or chronic myelomonocytic leukemia, and another in patients with relapsed or refractory AML or myelodysplastic syndromes. These trials will better define the potential of PLK-4 as a cancer therapy target. In the final part of today's podcast, we will review an article in Blood entitled Plasmodium falciparum exploits CD44 as a co-receptor for erythrocyte invasion by Barbara Barrow from Stanford University School of Medicine in Stanford, California, and colleagues. Malaria remains a leading cause of morbidity and mortality in the developing world with approximately 600,000 deaths annually. The malaria parasite Plasmodium falciparum invades and replicates in human erythrocytes. Emerging drug resistance and the unavailability of an effective vaccine, coupled with the lack of a deeper understanding of the host pathogen interactions, remain the major obstacles to controlling malaria. CD44 is a glycoprotein widely expressed on the surface of eukaryotic cells. Of several existing isoforms, human red blood cells only express the shortest, standard form of CD44. The role of CD44 as a host factor for P. falciparum invasion was discovered only recently using a forward genetic shRNA screen in cultured red blood cells derived ex vivo from nucleated hematopoietic stem progenitor cells. Additional evidence confirming the involvement of CD44 in P. falciparum invasion came from a study demonstrating that CD44-null JK1 cells were resistant to invasion by three different P. falciparum strains. Studies to date have also found that CD44 serves as a receptor for group A streptococcus on epithelial cells and that it can function as a co-receptor in cancer cells and during Listeria infection of epithelial cells. The goal of the current study was to investigate the role of erythrocyte CD44 in P. falciparum invasion in more detail, using a combination of genetic, cellular, and biochemical approaches. The authors first generated CD44-null red blood cells using CRISPR-Cas9 genome editing in primary human hematopoietic stem progenitor cells, followed by ex vivo erythropoiesis. These experiments revealed that CD44 can be deleted from primary human hematopoietic stem cells and that the efficiency of ex vivo erythropoiesis to nucleated cultured red blood cells is not impacted by the lack of CD44. To investigate the requirement for erythrocyte CD44 in P. falciparum invasion, the authors performed invasion assays using the isogenic wild-type and CD44-null cultured red blood cells. Interestingly, the rate of P. falciparum invasion was reduced by approximately 50% in CD44-null cultured red blood cells compared to wild-type cells, confirming the hypothesis that CD44 plays an important role in invasion. Next, the authors used in vitro pull-down assays and mass spectrometry to identify two well-characterized P. falciparum invasion ligands as binding partners for CD44, namely erythrocyte binding antigen 175 and 140, or EBA-175 and EBA-140. Furthermore, they demonstrated that their ability to bind to human erythrocytes relies primarily on their canonical receptors, glycophorin A, and glycophorin C, respectively. Finally, the authors demonstrated that EBA-175-induced phosphorylation of erythrocyte cytoskeletal proteins following invasion is at least partially dependent on CD44. The authors concluded that their findings support a model where CD44 serves as a co-receptor to facilitate P. falciparum invasion into erythrocytes. In an accompanying commentary, Mohandas Narla from the New York Blood Center notes that the latest study by Barrow and colleagues shows that CD44 acts as a co-receptor to regulate the complex process of red blood cell invasion by P. falciparum. He emphasizes that the identification of host cofactors involved in regulating parasite invasion is a significant advancement. The questions that remain unanswered include the manner of spatial and temporal assembly of the various components during the invasion process, and the mechanistic basis of the post-translational modification of host proteins involved in the process. Dr. Narla is optimistic that future studies using genetic and imaging techniques will provide additional insights into the fascinating process of P. falciparum invasion. These findings will be important for the development of novel anti-malaria drugs that target host proteins without leading to acquired resistance. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.